episode of the Rebel Radio Podcast. <laughs> Doing some old school DJ stuff. Podcast, podcast, podcast. Kids seats are only five bucks. Found on www.therebelradiopodcast.com. Yeah. <laughs> and all your favorite Rebel, or no, favorite podcast applications on your smartphone. It's in your pocket right now, vibrating. <laughs> um hello hello yeah General we need one of those switchboards that plays random sounds like yeah. goats and shit we, were, we used to have that on the radio show version years ago i think so. yeah yeah and that uh, was pretty there's cool probably a way i could hook it up to the computer and have like jason muse say snoochie boochies or something yeah, <laughs> impressive. Most impressive. Most impressive. Yes. Dude, they have plugins for everything. I'm sure there's something I can plug into this and make fucking sound things work. Oh, probably. Do you know you're gonna make me look that shit up now? I'm gonna have to look. You're like now. I'm curious. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend all night looking for this shit. <laughs> in the button, Matt says this huge Jackman or something. He gets excited. Huge Jackman. Have a button. Matt's bonerific excitement. <laughs> bonerific excitement man um <laughs> dude i am um i'm man i'm running on like very little sleep now when saw the classic the icons guns and roses last night and uh, that was fucking cool i have to say i mean i had seen slash perform with velvet revolver you know probably 20 years ago or whatever yeah and, uh, and at the time it was cool seeing velvet revolver it's basically guns and roses with scott wyland and uh, but I guess then I didn't take in the appreciation factor for what an icon slash was until I got to see him play with his original band and uh, getting to see Guns N' Roses was cool. Axel Axel sounded fine. I mean, he's not great. He's old. He's sixty one now. Axel Roses sixty two. Oh wow! And, uh, you know, he sounded okay. I mean, he wasn't terrible. They put on a good show. Slash is um, slash is not human. Let me tell you that he's a Guitar making rocking machine, just uh, unbelievable good and uh, a pleasure to watch. And uh, it was a good show, man. Uh, always wanted to see him. That's the band that kind of, if Pearl Jam defined my life in music, Guns N' Roses is the band that got me into rock and roll. And uh, so it was good to see those legends. And they played at the uh, baseball stadium here in town at Minute Maid Park, which uh, we're hoping is hosting some playoff games here in the next week or two. And uh, our Astros are struggling here at the end of the season, even though they are. Up three to nothing right now, and on the Diamondbacks, they got a they get their magic number is two to get in the playoffs. So hopefully by Monday, well by Monday we will know if they're in the playoffs or not. Oh we'll yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, man, it was cool seeing GNR live. You know, I was starting to thinking like, uh, for me, you know, Allison Chains opened up for him, but we didn't make it inside the stadium in time, and it wasn't that big of a deal because I'm not a huge fan of the new incarnation of Allison Chains. I'm always going to be a Lane Staley guy. I don't hate the lead singer, but don't love it either. And mm-hmm. um, but the new version. Um, but, you know, and now that I saw GNR, man, uh, other than seeing, you know, the original incarnations of Soundgarden and Allison Chains, I, uh, man, I, I think my, my music bucket list, man, is about, I really don't know who else I would see, you know, I mean, Stevie Nicks. No. Yeah, I think you would. No. No? Oh. Yeah, obviously, there's the bands that are impossible to see them, like Led Zeppelin, you know, things like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Uh, but 
as far as modern stuff, man, I, I can't, uh, I think that might have been it, you know. I saw the, the, the main icon that I always wanted to see. Doesn't mean I'll never go to another concert again, because, you know. <laughs> but uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, man. I I always, I mean, it's not a band that I would love, you know, have, have to see. But, uh, you know, the rodeo down here, they had, that they, they went through a spiel where they had, classic rock bands and and one year we had kiss i saw them and then sticks came the, the following year saw them and then they had ario Speedwagon the year after that and i was like uh, i just i wasn't able to make it or at least i didn't make the effort you to, to make it music basically yeah i i think i think he used to play all that stuff in the in the car all the time so i just came, became accustomed to it that might be why i i like bands like that um but uh, but I regret not going to see them because I, I, you know, they stopped bringing classic rock to the rodeo, and uh, man, I, I I think I'd like to see Aerosmith. I'd I'd like to see Steven Taylor. Mm, I don't know. He sounds no. pretty. He's I've seen some videos of him. He almost sounds worse than Axel now. Really? And, uh, his health's not real good. Uh. I don't know how much longer they're going to tour. Yeah, they've canceled a lot of shows over the last year and rescheduled them. So, not sure. Him and his scarfs. He's a, yeah, dude looks like a lady. Yep, <laughs> he does kind of, kind of look like a lady sometimes. His own autobiographical song. Yeah, was about himself, even though he says it's not about himself. Sure, it's, it's like not him. about me. We know what you're up to, Stephen. He's like about these scarves. Fine daughter, though. Good lord, Terrell. I mean, something, something happened there. Hey, you, did you did you just quote uh, Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights? It's the only thing you've done with your life is make a hot daughter. Whenever <laughs> <Hey. laughs> he's roasting the dad. <laughs> <sighs> so, how was your week? Good. Yeah, yeah, good. You know, uh, got watched some cool stuff. I, I saw that you had watched a. Uh, an alien movie and i was like what movie is that and i was uh, so i found it was on hulu and fucking copycat and i was like i've got to see this thing and so i watched it um so i'll be able to review it with you uh when you talk about it let's talk about it Um, yeah it's on hulu this was originally and it's one of these 20 it's weird since disney bought 20th century fox it's almost like they don't quite know what to do with some of these films um, mm-hmm. Like Prey, Prey should have been released theatrically. Let's be honest, big time. Um, and this movie was originally planned as a theatrical release and ended up going to Hulu. And it's called a No One Will Save You. It's a uh, basically it's an alien invasion, home invasion flick with aliens. Um, CGI is a little suspect at times, but I didn't think it was that bad. Um, this movie is a. Uh, basically silent for an hour and 40 minutes. There's three lines of dialogue in the entire film. Um, that's its gimmick. Uh, as this girl who's a high anxiety, um, living her day in a farmhouse. And, you know, she goes into town now and then for things she needs. And you get the sense that she's not welcome to the town. You're not sure why. Yeah. Early on in the film. So as she's living her day in her routine, she's going to sleep that night. And, um, Turns out she wakes up and there's an intruder in her home and she's not sure what's going on. She hears something downstairs and well, God dang it. turns out this intruder is an alien. (laughs) And um, this, the first 30 minutes of this movie were great. It builds suspension. Mm -hmm. It 
suspense. I mean, it builds intensity. I'm over there watching and go, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. And, and Wyatt's like, Dad, why are you watching this if it's just scary? I'm like, it's not scary. It's just intense. Is it because it does a really good job of building tension? Really does, yeah. And um, and then it uh, kind of turns into a bit more of a action movie after that, where it's throwing plot details at you through things that happen. It seems these aliens can use these little mini probes to take over humans. Yeah, she gets chased by humans. Uh, it also we revealed through flashbacks that I guess she um. Uh, uh, the sheriff's daughter or something or was her friend and she got into a argument with her and she must have accidentally killed this little girl. And that's why she's not real welcomed into town. It was her best friend and it was an accident. Um, and that's why she's um, super high anxiety functioning like she is, uh, I guess, because of the trauma that occurred to her as a, a teenager. Um, mm-hmm. So we, that's revealed through flashbacks. And then, and then, a really bizarre ending with it where the aliens, it seemed like the aliens were looking for something amongst humans. And when they found her ability to forgive herself for what she did mm-hmm. and to move on with her life, the aliens accepted that and let her go after putting her in her spaceship. And then she's dancing in this weird thing. And the aliens are still floating above the earth. I didn't quite, I didn't understand the ending uh, from what I gather online. Most people don't understand that. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. I, and I usually can figure movies out. I don't really get what the last 30 seconds meant. I was like, wasn't sure. I thought maybe they were all getting along because they were all like friggin' taking, taking over. And now they're all in the same club. That's and what now, I was thinking too. Like yeah. Going to live amongst us. Yeah. So I thought maybe they were like, you know, basically well, under the title of the film is no one can save you. So that's what I was thinking. The aliens basically end up taking over the earth. Yeah. That they probed us all, and that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought too. Um, so basically, they decided through her compassion or her ability to forgive herself that they're not going to wipe us out, but they're going to take us over with probes through our throats. Um, it was fun. I mean, it's not the it's not, it wasn't a great movie, but it wasn't terrible. It was a fun, lazy afternoon watch. Yeah, it was entertaining, and and like you said, it does a good job. Uh, building suspense uh, in in the the first half, and then like you said, it's like a, it's like an action thriller at the end. Um, so uh, definitely worth a watch, especially if you got a Hulu account. I mean, check yeah. it out. I like um, the fact that they uh, made the aliens look like the old school classic Roswell aliens. Yes, that was cool. And then with a little bit of mixing, like the boss aliens had a little bit more powers and stuff. The one that could twist itself around and stuff that was cool. Yeah, the weird arms and shit. Yeah. yeah. So it's it, it's definitely creepy. It, it is the aliens look creepy. There's a creepy tone, and uh, it's definitely a film that's going to creep you out watching well, it gimmick, in the dark. The gimmick yeah. worked with the music because the music helps build the intensity and the suspense. Yeah. And I, I posted on social media about watching it and uh, a couple of people were like, no way, no way. It's too scary. And I'm going to call them out right now. The people that post them like quit being chickens, watch it. Turn <laughs> You'll be all right. Yeah. And, Give it a uh, watch. I mean, look, You'll be all right. This, this next month coming up, Matt's going to make me suffer by finally Watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre after all these years, and yes, I'm not looking forward to it. But I'm not going to be a chicken. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> you know, I've avoided that movie for 47 years of my life, and damn it, now I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah, man, the Ed Gein movie. 
We'll get, we talk about Ed Gein. And that's not next week's movie, but yeah, it's coming up. It's but, coming. Uh, but No One Can Save You, was a, it was a fun little flick. I mean, you know, I, like I said, it was a good sun. I watched it Sunday afternoon, just lazy watching it. And, um, you know, it was fun. Yeah, we did the same. Me, me and Jackie watched it and uh, it was good because it's like I, I felt like, man, what am I going to watch? What's on? And then I, I saw you had posted that and I'm like, yeah, let's check this out. And it was worth it. It was worth it. <coughs> yeah, that's really um, other than Soka episode seven. That's all I had time to really watch this week. Well, I saw that that uh, we watched a four hour movie this week. That took a lot of time. Yeah. So, <laughs> So I saw that we that there was that well and I, and I know it was horribly reviewed that Jeepers Creepers film from last year where they tried to reboot Jeepers Creepers, um, and the the one the actor from Robot Jocks is in that movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, the American uh, the American Gladiator from Robot Jocks. Uh, he reenacts the opening scene which was actually, you know, an, a true story that came off of unsolved mysteries. Uh, so there's a truck, old truck going down the road and they're riding this old couple's bumper. And the guy's like, you know, just go around. And so the guy almost runs them off the road, trying to just get around him. And, uh, he sprints ahead and, you know, blasts ahead and, and pulls off into this school and so they're passing him, and they see a bloody sheet that he's like, you know, I throw into this trash can and and stuff in this field by the school, and they call the cops, and they had found a, I guess like a like a body of of somebody, but it was a real, uh, it was a real unsolved mystery thing, and they use that as the opening to Jeepers Creepers, the first one, and then. They use it again as, as the opening to this one, but they reference it as the unsolved mystery. And it's supposed to be in this town. The acting's horrible. Um, the CGI at the end where they kill the thing is is horrible. And it's it's just weird. It's like they, you know, tried to make it to where the town is trying to sacrifice these, you know, this uh, a, a, a woman that's of, you know, with child to the creeper and you know somehow it's gonna cause them to live forever but the creature lives forever anyways because you know that's his thing he eats limbs and he gains them you know that's like from all the jeepers creepers films so it's like i don't know i didn't get it movies where people smoked way too much shit definitely definitely (laughs) and it's like part of this like comic-con they're like oh yeah we're going to this comic-con that's in this in this town with the with with the creeper house and it's a weird it's not really a comic-con it's like a horror fair like they've got like fair games and stuff and i'm like this doesn't happen at a at a comic-con i was like where are the vendors there's no vendors Comic are trendy let's put it in our movie yeah we'll have a few tables it'll look cool yeah, that's that's it. There's like some vendors there, and there's like like carnival games, like knife throwing, or and whatever. Chronicon, the movie I ever wanted to go to was Chronicon. Cry, yes, Chronicon. That would be worth it. This one not as cool, uh, but yeah. Uh, so definitely not worth the watch. Uh, there's probably a, a million other horror movies that you should probably see, and we're talking about some next month. So. 
Um, definitely follow follow us on uh, on our on our horrors month as as a, you know we release those movies. We'll talk about that later. Um, but uh, other than that, I did watch uh, Ahsoka as well. And yeah, Ezra seven. and everything. <laughs> the second to last episode of the season, which uh, man. I'm starting to believe there's going to be a season two, even though it's not officially announced. Uh, I think it's coming. Uh, especially has to be strikes any, which we'll talk about in a minute in the news, but uh, man, but this episode uh, was super action packed. Lots happened. Um, man, it feels like I've had a lot go on the last three days since I watched this. Um, trying to recall it all, but uh, you know, Sabine and Ezra are being chased by Balin and, and Shin and, and the, recruitment of the red bad guys, whatever they're called that they found with them. And they're trying to survive. Uh, Sabine has to kick some ass and Ahsoka shows up and she's fighting Balin surviving. And uh, Thrawn is trying to go through his master plan and get all his troops on board and all this and his cargo so he can escape. And um, this was, um, this it's weird. This episode probably, Move the plot forward the least out of any of them, but it was so action packed that it was exciting and 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 made up for a lot of it. Um, yeah, I think it was weird that Ezra wouldn't take the lightsaber. Yeah, like he's like, "Oh, it's yours. I gave it to you." I'm like, yeah, but Sabine's like, "Yeah, but we're fucking fighting here, man. Take it." And he's like, <laughs> "No, I, I don't want it." I'm just like, "Wait." Even I was like, "Wait, what?" I, I thought maybe they did that to like because now that there's there's this trope with just using the force. To fight, yeah. you know, and uh, you know, Obi Wan used it, and you know, uh, Darth Vader used it, uh, you know, and then you know, Ahsoka used it in in that little mini animated series. And so I think it's uh, a trope, you know. So what's the biggest question? This episode is, uh, what's the deal with Balin? He could have killed Ahsoka, and he didn't. Yeah. Um, you know, what's he searching for? You know. Uh, you can believe all the theories that there's some sort of creature there that's the opposite of Bindu from Rebels. He's like the dark side version of Bindu. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, these these fan theories get, I don't want to say ridiculous, but get really out there sometimes. <laughs> but it makes you wonder what Balin's looking for. Because it's like he had Ahsoka where, he, I mean, he could have finished her off and he didn't, you know. Um, yeah. And it just makes you wonder what, what's going on with him. And, he, and especially the fact that he let his apprentice go on her own to do, to try to take out Ezra. Um, you know, uh, so that's the biggest question I think of the whole episode is what he's up to. Um, I'm, you know, Mads or Lars Mickelson, Mads Mickelson's brother is growing mm-hmm. on me as Thrawn. I like, I've always liked the voice cause he did the voice of the show, but I, his mannerism in his face, like he, it looks like, does it, I can't hold it. Does it, it look like he's smirking all the time? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, I don't know, to me, Thrawn is more calculating and more like just serious. Serious. Yeah. You know? um, but he's growing on me. Uh, the the 3PO cameo was fun, but also a little, I don't know if awkward is the right word, but it did feel like, um, it felt like, oh, we wrote her in the hole. How do we get her out of it? Oh, I know. Let's have a 3PO cameo. Fans will eat that shit up and they'll buy into it. Yeah. That's really what it felt like. She had this annoying Asian politician dude who won't shut up. And, and it's just like, it really felt like the writers were like, well, well how do we get her hair out of this? Um, you know, without getting it too bogged down into political stuff. And that feels like that's why 3PO came in. 
And then his costume was um, really like bizarre looking. It was his neck was all bulgy, and or was that just because Anthony Daniels has gotten too fat for the costume? <laughs> Man, that that could be it. Maybe that's maybe uh, that's it. No disrespect to Anthony Daniels. It's always cool to see him come back, but it was just like, uh, okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you could have had you could have had Glover come back and just have him play Lando, and the cameo would have been fine. It would have made more exactly. Sense. You know, people would have bought into it. Like, okay, it's not uh, Billy Billy D. Williams, but it's still Lando, you know? Exactly. If you had to use an actor that's already been recast. I get why you can't use Leia because Carrie Fisher has passed. But it's like you don't want to deep fa- you don't want to deep fake her out of respect, even though you already deep faked her in Rogue One. But uh, but she was still alive when Rogue One was made, so that was a little different. But uh, but you know, yeah, that was kind of weird. Let's just use C three PO. But it was cool. What did you think about the episode? Um, I I thought it was fun. Uh, I liked that there was more action. Uh, it definitely raises more questions. There's and no way they wrap I, this up in one episode. If they do, no. if they were to kill Thrawn off in 55 minutes or something, you're wasting them. You know, this has got to go. Yeah. And and why is that one board member like? Oh no, we we've got to punish her. You know. We we've got a disciplinary. Man, I don't know. I think I think he's like maybe there's you know part. Obviously, we saw some of this in Mandalorian, um, you know, season uh, season three, uh, and you know it's got to be, you know, this has got to be uh, like a remnant of that where you see corrupt Republic members, and I think that's what we're seeing. Like maybe person that's trying to go after uh you know era and gotta be gotta be that that's that's how i feel um but we'll see you know because he was he was like yeah we gotta you know take clip her wings and you know court martial her and uh, it's going way too hard for you know something where she had proof that there was you know remnants of the empire so yeah. Uh, yeah, he was going way too hard for something that was justified. Right, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I still, I'm really, I think this is the best Star Wars TV series they've done, though. I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's action packed. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's a, telling a really good sequel story to after the Battle of Endor. It's telling a really good story overall to Rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of great lightsaber fights, um, and. None of it feels forced to me, which I think is what great. It's great. Sometimes, like the Obi Wan prequel, felt a little forced in there. Even Andor feels mm-hmm. a little forced, even though it's well written. Um, this Mando is good, but Mando also sometimes takes a long time to get anywhere. Where this is just telling a really fascinating, really well done story. I mean, and you know, Filoni created Ahsoka, so that's his his baby, you know. And I think mm-hmm. he's really treating it well and hired good directors and good story writers and are telling a really good solid Star Wars story. But I, I think you'd be a disservice to the fans if you got rid of Thrawn after just a few episodes. And I think the plan is though, probably to make him the villain for the upcoming uh, Mando Universe movie that's going to happen eventually. So, you know, because it just makes the most sense to have it that way. And Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. Um, maybe we'll get an announcement soon as what are what's going to happen after this because you know, we know the Skeleton Crew show is coming out and the Acolyte is coming out, but those are, uh, but there's been no word yet on Mando season four, Ahsoka season two, but maybe it's coming, um, especially with the success of Ahsoka. Um, we'll see. Um, one episode to go Tuesday night. 
see how this all ends, and we'll definitely have our full report on it next week and our conclusions and maybe our own theories after the ending of the show next week, um, see how where it goes. Exactly. Um, and the reason we might have um, some news soon is the writer strikes in Hollywood are finally coming to an end. They signed a tentative agreement this week. Uh, if I remember reading correctly, it's all going to be signed off on sometime this week. Um, movie studios and television studios are all moving in place right now to get things back into production. It's crazy how that works. I was reading an article about how like Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie and the crew from Mission Impossible 8 are on standby. As soon as they get the word, they jump on planes, they fly back to Prague or wherever it was they were filming, and they start production to finish Dead Reckoning Part 2. Uh, animators on Across the Spireverse are ready to go back to work. That, like it's like They just stop these productions, they're ready to go again. Um, so this is good news for Hollywood. Um, apparently it's a three-year deal, so um, might have some issues again in three years, but at, at least <laughs> something got solved, and hopefully these writers are taken care of and paid their, uh, their earnings. Yeah, get paid. Get paid what you're supposed to get paid. I know there's uh, some instances where you know there people have you know these one-off grievances, and and hopefully they get settled. Uh, but the good thing is that we got everything starting back up shortly. Yeah, that, that's a good thing. It was getting really frustrating with the Dune being delayed and more movies delayed and television series, and it's just like, come on, man. Yeah, you know, the, the boy season four, you know, we're waiting on that. It was all part of the strikes and delays. And and uh, we went through all this in 2020 with COVID into 2021, even where so many films were delayed. And, and it really, you know, I mean, I think it's safe to say this year in 2024 is the first or 2023. It's really been the first year where Hollywood's been really back. I mean, last year we had the extremely huge success of Top Gun and a few films. But this year we've seen consistent success throughout the year. Yeah. And it's still not to pre twenty twenty numbers, but it's 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 good. Um, and then we're getting these delays again, you know. So now hopefully everything's done. No more pandemics. No more strikes. Yeah. To uh, enjoying the things that Hollywood makes for us. And um, one of those things that Hollywood wants to make for us, and we, it's funny, we just did a Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, was that last week or two weeks ago? That was two weeks ago. Yeah. Super Eight was last yeah, week. That was two. And we talked about, you know, hoping that the Kelvin crew would get another shot. Well, Paramount executives are saying that they, have, when the strikes are ending, that Star Trek Four is their first priority. All these other movie ideas they've had, they're putting on the back burner. That Trek wow. Four is what they're going to work on first. Uh, and the the TV side is functioning good. You know, Strange New Worlds, Picard, all that stuff. But they they realize that it's very important to have Star Trek in theaters. And they are going to do what they can to get Chris Pine and Zachary, Zachary Quinto and everyone back together for at least one more film for the Kelvin crew. All I can say is I'll believe it when I see it because we've been talking several years now about getting um, them back together. J.J. Um, Abrams has moved on from Paramount to go work for Warner Brothers. Um, so not sure who they would hire but mm-hmm. we um, to get to make this happen. Um, here's the idea the showrunner for Picard Season 3 because it was freaking badass. Let him make Star Trek four. I bet it would be badass. Oh yeah. Just a thought. Um, he man masters of the universe revelation, the Kevin Smith sequel series that aired 2021. It's hard to believe it's been that long since those 10 episodes came on. And I love that. Wow. It was a lot of fun. Season two is finally coming um, in early 2024. Uh, it was officially announced. It's going to be called revolutions instead of revelations. And it should be hitting 
here pretty soon to a Netflix near you. Um, expect more on that soon. And lastly, I don't believe these rumors um, that Christopher Nolan is developing two James Bond films. The reason I don't believe this is because Nolan said himself, I'm not working on anything during the strikes. <laughs> um, I also think Nolan has also said several times he's not interested in going back to franchises. Now, that said, he has he's a huge Bond guy. He's admitted that Bond's one of his favorite film series. It's what got him into directing. It's what got him into making movies. So I think if the opportunity was to come along for Christopher Nolan to make a Bond film, I think he'd consider it. I truly do. But I'll be surprised. Um, But with Daniel Craig leaving the show and the Bond producers looking for a way to reboot Bond, what better way than we're the hottest director of the world, if it's true? So we'll see if any news comes out that wants to strikes. I mean, I can't think of a better person to reboot Bond than Daniel Craig. Or Daniel Craig. The Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. So we'll see if that is true or not. And Matt, stop falling asleep over there. I don't know what you're talking about. I saw you fading away, sir. Well, it's all dark and dungeon your house. No wonder you're fucking tired. Turn on some lights. I know. Maybe I just need to turn on the lights and you know, yeah, man, keep like, me. You're all in the dark over there like a shadow warrior. And, yeah. Um, like Batman. Yeah. I'm so, in the shadows. Uh, so that was all the news we had this week. Um, so today's feature film. And I'm going to call this a feature film because it initially it was intended to be one film. But then when Quentin Tarantino yep. told the studio, oh, well, it's four hours. And they're like, what? Okay, we're going to have to split this. And Quentin's like, Clint, strangely, Quentin didn't even fight it because he knew. He goes, yeah, I know. It's a long film. People aren't. <laughs> so he, he was okay with splitting it in half. And um, so he split it into Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2. And if I remember correctly, they came out about six months apart. I don't think it was like a year. I think it was like six months. If I remember. Yeah, like six months. And um and so we're choosing to do this as one full film, as also universally known as The Whole Bloody Affair, a film that um, has only been seen to the public a few times. Quentin Tarantino has shown it to friends and film directors, and he's shown it at his own art house theater that he owns to a few audiences around the world. I think the total public screenings of The Whole Bloody Affair is like 10 or 11. It's only been shown 10 or 11 times. Wow. So... Anyone who says they have a whole bloody affair Blu-ray out there is lying. It doesn't actually exist. <laughs> the version I have is a fan edit that's done to the best of what people have seen it. Um, and from what people have said, the fan edit is about 98% correct. Okay. So it's really not that different. Um, and the, even the Blu-rays that are out in Japan and other places that are titled the whole bloody affair, they're not actually the Quentin Tarantino whole bloody affair cut. Um, so the difference in the, well, let's go over the difference before we get into the film. Um, the only difference is really is the Crazy Eighty Eight fight scene is all in color, and for good reason why it was put in black and white because it is brutal. I can see why they black and white this to avoid the NC seventeen. It is bloody as fuck, and the, now the colored version has been released in Japan. Um, so because they're not vaginas like Americans are. So that's where they took the fan edits. They took the American cut. And then the only other version, there's a weird deleted scene with Michael J. White, which is, I say it's weird because it's kind of out of place in the film, but Quentin really liked it because he liked working with Michael J. White. So he put it back in the film. It, it occurs almost towards the end of the movie, just before she gets to Bill's house. Uh, there's a flashback where her and Bill are walking and Michael J. White is a former enemy of Bill's and he tries to attack Bill and Bill takes him out and, and, 
and Beatrix is just smiling at him and is just kind of showing her an admiration for him. Oh, okay. Um, and other than that, when the two films merge, there's a slightly different edit, you know, because he had it. I guess there's a the way he edited it to make it like a, a seamless film instead of the the way it ended for Volume One and Volume Two. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really the only differences um, in the films. The the rest of the black and white stuff is still in there. And from what I was reading about the whole bloody affair, is that's pretty much what Tarantino's version is too. Um, they said there's a couple of slightly different edits in the Tarantino version, um, but for the most part, the whole bloody affair that's out there is close to his original version. And uh, so we decided to cover Kill Bill as the whole body of version of Tarantino's fourth film of his planned 10 films. He says he's going to do in his career and uh, still waiting on the 10th one. Um, you know, Kill Bill is a movie that think it needs no introduction. We know that, you know, it's the story of the bride who wakes up in a coma four years after Bill and her crew attempted to kill her. And um, only because she wanted out of that life of being a former assassin for Bill. She wanted to move on and Bill wasn't going to have it. So yeah. he decides to take her out. So she goes on a quest of revenge and classic ninja samurai storytelling, which folds over into a, from being a samurai Kung Fu film into a cowboy old Western uh, revenge story in which nothing works out for the cowboy the way it should. Um, because in the second half of the film, she only kills one person. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so, and I think I never picked up on that. This is a movie of, of Bill's that I've, over oh, Bill's of Quentin's that I've only watched once or twice. I really, it's so strange that I didn't like this a whole lot when I first saw it because I love sword fights. I love, yeah. movies. I like martial arts movies. I love Westerns, but I had a hard time really getting into Kill Bill the first couple of times I saw it. And, and I think my biggest issue with it, and it's still my issue with the film is it's, so pretentious in parts just like lots of just wasted space in it when it's the plot can be moving forward this four hour cut of the film could be told in three hours and i think that's my biggest issue with kill bill it's just like and quentin has always done this he's always done with this this in his films but but this movie feels like it should be faster paced i mean we're telling a fucking revenge story here let's 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 move the story And, uh, and and i completely understand quentin's influences and everything he grew up watching because we've been watching his films for years we know he loved Sergio Leone and westerns and samurai films and I understand all that but but it but uh but his his this film just drags in certain parts to it and I think that's still what holds it down but that said I have come around to it more I'm liking this more and more the more I watch it um and uh and I really appreciated watching it all in one sitting over a couple days anyways. And, uh, and seeing the difference in the Kung Fu side and the Western side of the story. Um, I, I never picked up on that. It was a Kung Fu movie that transferred into a Neo Western until now. I just hadn't picked up on that. And I thought that was a really cool way he did that. Um, Uma's great in the movie. You know, she, she's never been known for acting chops, but she's fantastic in this film. She really she is. is. Um, uh, Bill, uh, David Carradine is fantastic as Bill. He, he really is. Puts on a, it, he's, it's not a like overdrawn huge performance, but he's subtle. He's calm. He's cool. Yeah. It works. You know, you know, this dude is evil and it just, he plays it so well. 
he plays like a Blumfeld, you know? You only yeah. see his hands, you know, his hands are it's touching Uma Thurman's face, it's touching his sword, you just hear his voice. Very mysterious, you know, behind the scenes kind of bad guy. So very, yeah. very cool, very well played. Lucy Liu is great in the movie. Um mm-hmm. like Rizzo Renishi. Daryl Hannah and Michael Madsen are not so good in the movie. And that's yeah. where the movie suffers a little bit too. Michael Madsen looks like he's waiting for his next bottle of whiskey to be handed through him throughout the film. Yeah. He, he's mailing in his performance. He really, it's like, okay, Quentin's paying me some money. I'll go do a movie. But, and we know this guy can act. We've seen him act. He's great in Sin City. He's great in Reservoir Dogs. He's just there in this movie. Let's just be honest. He's just, he really there. is. Um, Daryl Hannah, she's never been known for acting, so we're not going to knock her too hard. Um, She's trying really hard to play evil. Like she's really, oh, she's overacting <laughs> where Michael Madsen's just not even trying to act. Daryl Hannah's like, Let's, I'm going to overdo it. <laughs> now I do think the improvisation of her going crazy when Beatrix pops her eye out is pretty funny. Cause even yes. Quentin didn't know she was going to do it. And Quentin's like, okay, we're going to leave that in the movie. That was awesome. <laughs> um, so that's kind of cool. Um, this movie also, and I know I'm talking, I'm gonna let you talk in just a second, Matt. I promise. Yeah. The, the, the burial scene, man, that causes me anxiety. Dude, I, yes, the claustrophobia. claustrophobia. I, yeah, man, that scene, I had to stop looking at the screen. I'm like turning my head. It's it's freaking me out. Um, great sword play. Uh, A lot. She got in really good shape. Yeah. To to yeah, she made Crazy. a an interview about how well she was in shape from all the sword fighting she had to do to, to do this film. Crazy Eight Eights fight is fantastic. Um, those are some of my thoughts on the movie. Yeah, I I like that this is basically kind of like Bruce Lee's revenge, as told by Quentin Tarantino. Um, and you've got obviously the Bruce Lee inspired yellow jumpsuit uh, played while playing Al Hurt's Green Hornet theme. The great Al Hurt, one of the best trumpet players uh, ever. Um, and, uh, you know, for his style. And then what does she do? She shows up against the crazy 88 army, all dressed as Cato, mm-hmm. um, and, and working her way towards in this game of death style, um, style movie towards the man who played the part that Bruce Lee was supposed to play himself for a script that he came up with, uh, called Kung Fu, where a man wonders, um, the earth looking for his brother and gets into, you know, scuffles along the way uh, in David Carradine. So uh, that's, that's really cool. Um, just that that's played by, in you know, Quentin Tarantino um, at, as this, uh, you know, with, with that imagery. And you also have these, you know, old school samurai um, effects with the blood just pouring everywhere, like in, uh, in Shogun Assassin, uh, the movie that the daughter's watching uh, where he's, he's kind of grooming the daughter to be an assassin the whole time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He's, he's desensitizing her. You know, she kills her, her fish and he's just like, Whoa, wow. She knows the difference between well, life and, and death. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. That's the whole point. And that's why Beatrix realizes like she deep in her heart, she loves bill and what he gave her. Yeah. She gave her he gave her life. But she knows that entire conversation when he's making sandwiches, she knows she has to kill him because exactly what you said, her daughter will never be safe. Yep. 
Very true. And then she gives him the fucking five finger palm death where he explodes. His heart explodes. And, uh, that's just badass. That's, that's really cool. Um, but he's so diabolical, man. You know, whenever he like shoots her in the, in the leg with the truth serum, uh, and you know, just the, that whole conversation, he's so creepy, uh, you know, with his bad haircut, you know, and his evil shit and weird parenting style. Uh, you're just like, man, you, he's got to go, man. He's got to go. Yeah. Uh, and, and then <laughs> he's like, how did you get Vittorianzo to make you a sword? She's like, all I had to do is drop your name. It was pretty easy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, her, her whole story. Huh? Played by the legend, Sonny Chiba. Yes. Yes. I've been in a lot of, a lot of black and white samurai films himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got a, got a great cast. Um, a good story. Vivica, Vivica A. Fox. I, I like, I like her little um, spiel on the movie. She's not in it for a long, but she does, she does great. And they have a pretty good fight um, in the house. Whenever she uh, pull, tries to pull the gun out of the cereal box and, and shoot Beatrix um, while they're fighting. And, you know, you have the motherly type scene there where she's like, don't, you know, she's like, don't, don't do this in front of my daughter. And she's like, I'm not going to kill you, you know, but she has to, cause she's shooting at her. So she brought it upon herself. So I wonder what a kill bill volume three would look like, you know, get the daughters of these two women together. Wouldn't like to talk about it for years, but yes, he talked about it on Joe Rogan too. Yeah. But Quentin, I don't think he'll ever do it. You know, he talked no. about several movies like the Vega brothers movie never happened. Yeah. I think I think Kill Bill Volume Three is is more likely to happen, but still, like you said, it's a fairy tale. You know, fair, it's it's a it's a dream. You know, he was on Rogan one time and he was talking about his whole, you know, yeah, you know, I, I plan to only do ten films, and Rogan's like, why? You know, you're you're still producing these really good films, and and they're great. We love watching you. I love watching you why do you want to just stop while you're at the top? And he's like, well, that's the point. I don't want to fall and, you know, and start making, you know, doing, you know, doing bad films. Well, and I always you feel, know. I always view Tarantino as very similar to Scorsese and yeah. Coppola and Spielberg is like, you know, Scorsese has almost quit a couple of times, but then something comes along and gets him going again. I think the same thing will happen to Quentin. I think he'll get this 10th film done, but then all of a sudden he'll be like, you know what? I want to do something else. Because Quinn's yeah. only like six years old, so he's got plenty of time. Oh yeah, he he yeah. says he's going to do a book, a playwright, and then he's going to work on his tenth film. Right. So you know, we'll see. Um, I was just thinking, uh, you know, a lot of people think that this movie that there's always been an underlying connection to all of Quentin's films together. You know, like the briefcase from Pulp Fiction is the same briefcase as Reservoir Dogs, things like that. There's a lot of people believe that that Rufus, the musician in the in the bridal in the church oh yeah because it's played by samuel jackson people believe that that's jules because <laughs> he said i'm gonna he goes what are you gonna do he goes i'm gonna wander the earth like and he even mentions like uh like what's his name in kung fu and so yeah. think, he, he says that's right he does i'm a traveler you know i've, I've traveled all of them so people say his roof is jules you know in this movie um you know which could be only quentin knows for sure maybe one day when that book comes out he'll reveal it all as to who's um who's who maybe so uh 
but you know this this movie though um i watched it on prime as separate volumes and then i put in my disc my fan edit disc of well bloody affair and i i went through that didn't watch every scene we kind of fast forward and looked at things trying to find the differences and i and i saw the cut scene and everything and and um this movie definitely for a four-hour film it flows well it's it's not hard to watch um i know i was complaining about the pacing and really for me the pacing issues strive at the beginning of the film um, the most, like the whole stuff in the hospital and her wiggling her big toe and Quentin's obsession with feet and the disgusting yeah. scene with Buck, which is just nasty. Um, just all seems really pointless. Uh, you could have told that whole story by just having her wake up from a coma and work her way out of the hospital. You didn't, exactly. need, the you didn't need the unnecessary sex and violence. Um, that and then uh, I'm trying to think what else drag the, the training drags a bit. Where she's training Pi with Pi Wei, yeah, that's a bit just you know a bit long, um, but it was all to set up the fact that Ellie killed her master, so it was a setup for that. So there's a few things I yeah. would cut back in some of this, um, you know, if I was editing the film, um, mostly the beginning of the film. I think you could easily cut off twenty or thirty minutes of the beginning of the movie and uh, and make it a tighter film, even for the three and a half hour runtime of the epic. Um, but that's probably some of my smallest piece, but but great performances. Uh, you know, Quentin, um, I like his action scenes because they're not traditional. You know, but but yet they feel um, they feel real. Does that make sense? His action, yeah. Uh, especially the fight in the trailer where Ellie and and Beatrix are just going out at each other. Oh yeah, there's a freaking black mom in that trailer. Wrote sometime we're in there, dude. Yeah, getting close to both of them. <laughs> so okay. Why did she hide the black mama in the money? Why didn't she just put it in the suitcase and he opens it up and it pops out? You know, well, you think about that? Yeah. We have all this money flying around everywhere for no reason. <laughs> like, that's that's true. It's like, why not have it right at the top? Yeah, like you carried all this money with you for no reason. It's like <laughs> It's um, like she didn't want to have to pay, I guess. I don't know. Maybe she could have just shot the dude, you know. The only man Bill ever loved, his brother. Yeah. But I think he's such a trip. <laughs> Who? His his brother. He's like, you haven't kept up with your sword play, have you? He's like, no, can't say I have. And he's like, you still got that Hattori, your Hattori Hanzo sword? He's like, no, I, I pawned it. And he's like, you hawked a Hattori Hanzo sword. He's like, that sword was priceless. And he's like, not here. Not for 250 that, bucks. <laughs> not for 250 bucks. You know, like, fucking idiot. <laughs> Well, that's that. And there's that's another point. Like he works for a titty bar, right? He's a bouncer. Yeah. The whole scene adds nothing to the film. Whereas boss is like, "See this? You're not scheduled this day anymore. You're not to fire him." Like, there's no point to that entire scene in the film. Exactly. Other than make us know that Bud is already down on his luck, useless. He's not the assassin he used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet he's still a little bit brutal. But he's more instead of being a calculated assassin, he's more old fashioned brutal the way he tries to bury Beatrix and, and basically just beats the shit out of her to get mm-hmm. her captured. Shoots her with rock salt. And rock salt, walk yeah. rock salt to the tits. Yeah. <laughs> As um, he says. Uh, then, oh, I, I did read, there was supposed to be a whole other chapter in this film involving uh, the little, the little sister that, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. There was, there was going to tell part of her origin story, which explains, 
whenever she fights Beatrix, like what that was all about, but they cut that chapter out. And apparently some of it was filmed and stuff, but apparently it doesn't exist in the whole bloody affair version. It just, it's ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, so that's a little interesting tidbit. Uh, yeah, you know, Kill Bill, man, it's, um, it's pretty solid. I, I, I really liked watching it more this time. It's a, but you know, Quentin movies, other than Reservoir Dogs, that's the only movie of his that I ever liked a lot the first time I watched it. And I did like Django Unchained a lot the first time I watched it. Yeah. But, but uh, but you know, Pulp Fiction took some time to grow on me. Um, Once Upon a Time of Hollywood has taken some time. The Hateful Eight, like, The Hateful Eight is just, it's good, but it's just like, it's hard to watch with all the language in it. You know, and I'm no prude yeah. or anything, but, but all the N-words in it are just like, it's tough, man. It's like it, it's 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 tough on your senses as a human being just to hear those words over and over again in the hateful lake. You know, it's just like come on. Um, but but I think Kill Bill is I think Kill Bill is up there in my top three or four of his though. Now after watching it again, I think you know, Reservoir Dogs is always going to be my favorite. Um, I like Pulp Fiction a lot, and I, I really like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a lot. Um, and, and this one's probably right up there. I think it's easily now that I've rewatched it, it's probably my top three or four quick films. I, th- I think it's my favorite of his. And, uh, you know, maybe part of it is because it was such a shift change from, you know, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. This came out, it was a freaking epic, you know, it was yeah. way, way different than what he and normally it, did. Well, and it's easily the most, it's it's probably his, you know. I would dare. I don't know Quentin Tarantino, obviously, but this might be his most personal film as far as from his influences. Yeah, he directly made a movie based on what he watched growing up, samurai films and westerns, uh, and he put it on screen. Now, granted, he made two more westerns with Django and and uh, Hateful Eight, but this one is influenced by those westerns. And he or came Django. up with the opening scene with Uma with yeah. the dress, yeah, you know, and the bridal dress. Where Django and un, Django and Hateful Eight are his version of how Quentin would tell a western, where Kill Bill is Quentin's inspiration from watching samurai films and westerns. So that's why I think it could be his most personal film. Um, yeah, but I definitely like it a lot more than I did before, and uh, I appreciate the the, um, the the influences of it, uh, the neo western samurai styles of it. Um, just could be a little bit shorter. It's probably my only beef. I don't need to yeah. see Buck, Buck and his nastiness. I mean, yeah. that's gross, man. Who does that? Obviously, they do. <laughs> yeah, but that's fucking messed up. Apparently, it's happened before in hospitals. Like, it's a real thing. Oh, some wow. Chick woke up, some chick woke up from a coma pregnant. They found out that one of the orderlies were plugging her up. Oh, that's shit. Nasty. Come on, people. Damn it. Word of this, weird. don't go into a coma because you might wake up with a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is this is true. You could you could wake up with the uh, with the human totally, growing in you. <laughs> I'm being totally tongue in cheek because that is just absolutely nasty. Um, <laughs> if his name's Buck and he's the the Merce taking care of you, you might want to you know wake up and find another place to go. <laughs> yeah, get away from Buck. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he's from Huntsville, Texas. I'm like, like, <laughs> damn it. Quentin, <laughs> you're be from Arkansas or something. Yeah, man, I'm from Arkansas. That could have worked. Yeah. He's like, I'm from Huntsville, Texas. Backwoods of Tennessee. Or something. I was like, 
I was like, what are you, one of those, you know, uh, tropes from the uh, NFL games where they announce where they're from, you know, and he's really? like doing fucked up shit. And he's like, book Huntsville. You know, thing is, so she rips this dude's lips off, which apparently killed him, which I thought mm-hmm. was strange. Very he's, strange. Can you bleed to death from your lip being bit off? I don't know. Well, that was weird. Or I had to do something out. else. Maybe or passed maybe he just out. Passed out from shock. Here's yeah. the thing. Okay, she kills Buck, right? And she's in the car twelve hours later, getting her toes moved. There's no police coming to this hospital because they found a body. Yeah, searching the parking lot. I'm like, wait That's a minute. That's weird. Yeah, it's a minor plot hole, but I guess you know. It's kind of like the John Wick movies. You're like, where are the cops? The, this shit's happening. Where, where are the police, man? I know they're, you know, there, they gotta be there somewhere. There, there's a term for that in films. We brought it up on the show before about what they call these uh, alternate universes that these films exist in. And John Wick yeah. exists in them, and I guess Kill Bill exists in them too. Because um, you're right, especially like the in the in John Wick Four, the whole shootout in Paris. There's no police officers in this entire town. Exactly. So, but uh, oh well, Kill Bill. Man, it was, it was a good one to watch. I'm glad we watched it. And we usually try to do one of Quentin's films every year or so, and we hadn't done one in a while. Um, well, since Pulp Fiction, I think it was the last one we did. Um, yeah. But now it is time to move on to uh, what is arguably Matt's favorite month of the year. Yes. I always say the same for myself. Um, you know, there's a couple movies on here I'm excited to watch. But we uh, we started a tradition. Man, I can't believe this is the sixth, sixth year we've done this. Um Wow. Uh, of doing Halloween movies or horror movies the month of October. Um, so starting with next week's episode, we will kick off Halloween Horror 6, the 2023 version, as we'll be bringing four films to you um, throughout the month of some horror classics. And uh, we're going to kick that off with a uh, favorite of Matt's uh, age group. Um, and, uh, and that's just honest truth. I mean, I don't hate the film, but it's just more your age group thing. Yeah. And that is, that is Wes Craven's Scream. Hello? Hello? Who is this? If you tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Well, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Just me. Never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. He didn't make the rules. The police are always off track. If they watch Palm Night, they save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Everybody's a suspect! 
I'll be honest, I've only seen this like one time. That's when I originally saw it. <laughs> uh, maybe twice, but it's been some years since I've seen it. Uh, so I will uh, rewatch it this week and uh, and give my thoughts on it. I know it's a big favorite of yours. And yeah. It's another one of those horror franchises that seems to spawn endless sequels. Um, you know, instead of just letting things die. No, yeah. <laughs> they definitely always find a way to make continuity happen in a lot of these horror movies, right? <laughs> Somehow, some way. Um, but, you know, this is a movie that kind of brought Wes Craven back from uh, obscurity into the spotlight whenever this came out. And uh, yeah, uh, credit to him for doing that. Um, you know, he's one of our great classic horror directors of all time. So um, I think we've only ever done just Nightmare on Elm Street. It's only be the second Wes Craven film we've ever done. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Uh, this is also a film that I felt like brought a, you know, brought horror movies back into you know good good standing popularity. You know, they were they were so it had become you know kind of redundant and the same movies. thing over and over again. Yeah, and this one I think made them more prime time, and you know especially with its uh, smart satirical take on on the uh, films. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, uh, and it had its share of copycats. I know we oh, did last summer yeah. and several copycat versions of this film. So, uh, yeah, Urban Legend. You yeah. Know. Yeah. So uh, next week, we'll kick off Halloween Horror 6 for the year with uh, with Scream on next week's episode. Um, should be fun. Uh, until then, the RebelRadioPodcast.com for all your Rebel Radio needs. As you heard early in the show with our super awesome radio show opening, which was completely improvised but i thought it was pretty cool yeah <laughs> um, yeah i but, thought so uh, too but as always thanks for listening we do appreciate it uh, this has been mark this has been matt remember as always just go, just there, go and there and do it, it.